Welcome to the Checkered Jaguar, where normalizing difficult conversations is just what we do. I'm your host, Bracia Dover. I'm a mental health advocate, creator, business owner, and cancer survivor. It's time to get vulnerable and find that inner confidence to roar. Find the Checkered Jaguar on the web, where we go beyond with meaningful written blogs where readers come to feel inspired and understood. Check it out at www.checkeredjaguar.com. Find the Checkered Jaguar on Instagram and TikTok at Checkered Jaguar. Now, let's dive into this podcast episode. All right, welcome back to another powerful podcast episode. I am really excited about today's interview as we are joined by an incredible human and someone who has a very impactful story to share. Before I have our guest Shannon introduce himself, I wanted to give a brief background on what this episode will cover. We will be talking about Shannon's experience with being a transgender individual who has undergone the steps to live in the body he has always felt he belonged to. This episode is an amazing awareness check, an opportunity for listeners to gain a better understanding into what being trans really means and how individuals are born at a young age knowing that they are in the wrong gender. I am ready to learn more about Shannon's story and have Shannon shed some light on important conversations. So to start, Shannon, can you give us a brief introduction on yourself? Tell us where you're from, your age, what you do for work, anything you want us to know about you from the get-go? Sure. And first, I want to say thank you so much for having me. This is going to be exciting, and I'm delighted to be a part of it. I'm, I'm really excited to be here today. All right. As for me, I'm 28 years old. I am a trans man, which means that I was assigned female at birth. I started my transition when I was 20, meaning I started taking testosterone and started um, in society being recognized as a man. That's when I changed my pronouns and all sorts of things like that. And then I have been with my partner for 10 years this year, um, which means that I've been with her both pre and during and post transition. I was born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I've been working in the games industry for also approximately 10 years. So I can also talk about what it was like to transition in the workplace in a heavily red state, I guess (laughs) is the best way to say it. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Well, that's perfect. That's a great background. So Let's kind of just dive right into your story. Can you give us a background on your childhood atmosphere growing up and memories you may have had at a young age of feeling like you were a boy? Or also, can you give us a background on when you came out initially as a lesbian and what that looked like for you? Of course. So I, looking back on my childhood, first I want to say I had a very normal childhood, like middle class, no trauma that I can recall, like nothing, nothing dramatic. Like it was just very normal. And I wanted to bring that that up because I think there's a, a stigma that a lot of trans people have trauma in their past. And while that can be true, it wasn't for me, like a just average, no remarkable things. But I remember when I was little, always being labeled as a tomboy, pretty young. And I just like adapted to that role. But I do remember having conversations like with my mom as young as three or four years old saying things like, I am a boy trapped in a girl's body. Uh But when you're that young, 
I think that it's just like, oh, you're just being a tomboy. You just like boy things mm. more. And that was what I accepted for a long time, that I was just a, a tomboy. Mm. And then when I came to puberty age and your body starts to do things, I was like, <laughs> mm, nope, I don't. Wrong. Like, right, right. <laughs> that, that was that was kind of traumatic for me is the best way I know how to explain it. Like there was a lot of depression and a lot of arguments with my mom where I was like, this isn't right. This isn't right. That's when I started to dress a lot more masculine, mm. present myself a lot more masculine. I'd wear bigger clothes, like try to hide things that were happening. And that's also around the time junior high is when I first realized that I was not attracted to boys, like oh, my okay. female counterpoints. I was attracted to women. And at that first time, around 11 or 12, I actually came out as bisexual Okay. Um, first because that felt like a safe space in between for me. So I wasn't like immediately going full lesbian because I didn't feel like I could commit to that at that right. age. Right. But I, but I felt like it was at least acknowledging that there was something different about me. And then we moved around that time to from Kearns to Layton, and that was kind of a culture shock for me because Kearns yeah. was a little bit more poor, I guess, okay. than Layton was. And so when we moved, it was almost kind of like, a, I, I got to try and fit in here. So I kind of reset, like visually, I started presenting more feminine mm. and I started like, I dated a guy in high school, but it was, it was all wrong. Like it was all, right. I hated it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and so that only lasted like a year. And then I came out as a lesbian for like a second time and yeah. I went back to dressing the way that I wanted to. I cut my hair off and I dated a girl in high school and was a lesbian up through 18, 19. And when I met, I had one of my friends had a, 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 was dating a guy who was a trans man. And that was my first foray into what that meant. Oh, and as wow. soon as I met him, I was like, oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> and it was, yeah. it wasn't, it was like a, it was like a light bulb. But it was also fear. Like uh. there was a lot of fear with that recognition. So I spent easily a year, a year and a half just going down the internet black hole where, <laughs> where I was like, what is being trans? What does that look like? Right. What is the process? How do I know if that's me? And like with every article I read and every story I read, I was like, oh, this is definitely me. So around 20 is when I decided that it was time. And I took the steps necessary at that point in time to begin my transition. And I never looked back. Is wow. that a good summary? <laughs> yeah, no, that was perfect. That gave us a full synopsis. And it's really interesting how you had that light bulb moment when you um, had met that friend who was trans. And I mean, it, it you because you're really not taught about this stuff in school. And so how else are you supposed to learn about it unless you're looking on the internet, which it sounds like you also did that deep dive too. So, but yeah, okay. That was a, that was a great background. So can you kind of explain for us now what, for an outsider looking in who has never experienced what you have been through, what it what it's like going through the motions of feeling stuck or trapped in the wrong body? Is it draining, depressing, lonely? I'd love to hear what you remember f like feeling before you transitioned. It is strange, uh, especially when you start really coming to that realization as everyone else is going through puberty and you like see what normal is and you go mm, that's not me but mm. you don't know why so I definitely felt isolated and yeah. lonely but I wasn't sure what was wrong for a very long time 
which is like, well, maybe I'm bisexual because I'm obviously attracted to women. Right. And then later, maybe I'm a lesbian. But all of those things brought me closer to feeling correct, but it still wasn't right. And there were all sorts of other pieces when I look back that like were clues. Like whenever I had dreams, I always looked the way I do now. Like wow. I never had any dreams. I never had any dreams where I was like in a bridesmaid's dress yeah. or was marrying a guy. Right. And I was always just like, oh, that's weird. But like, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was very, it was very lonely. Um, I felt very isolated. I felt angry a, mm-hmm. a lot of the times. Like if I look back in my early teenager years, and my mom will tell you all about this if you ever meet her, but I was a very angry teenager and I didn't know why. And I think it was like depression. There was mm-hmm. some jealousy. There was some envy. That right. my peers were like enjoying their lives, and I was like, "Why can't I? Like, what's wrong with me?" Right. right. So it was a very, a very pervasive of what's wrong with me, and I didn't know that there was a word for what I was feeling until I met that guy, and then it was, it was a, it was definitely a light bulb moment. Once you know that, the, like, and I don't want to say that there's something wrong with me because now that I'm here, I don't feel like there's anything wrong with me. But right. when you don't have a word for what you're feeling, you do, right? Right. You feel like there's something wrong with you. But once you know that there's essentially a path forward to stop what you're feeling, that's all you can think about. And it almost gets worse until you choose to transition. So like oh. that year and a half where I knew that there was a way out, so to speak, was probably one of the darker periods of my life, like 19 to 20 ish was really hard for me. Cause I could, I had gotten to this point where I was just kind of numb, I guess is the best way to say it. Like this is my lot in life. I guess I'll just keep going. And then as soon as you feel that, as soon as you realize that it doesn't have to be that way, it becomes all consuming and the lot you're dealt in life is no longer acceptable. So it was, it was just like crazy dark period of time where I was like, I can't, I can't live this way knowing what I do now. Wow. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. That's and that's really good like perspective and a great way to put it because you would think like if you're getting closer to being where you want to be, you're excited, but you're probably feeling like, okay, let's do this. Like I, I'm ready. I need to get going. Like, so I, I get that. That's that's a really great way to explain that. And I, I feel like that insight in general is very helpful for someone looking in. So your parents were very understanding and accepting when you came to them, when you first came out. So I'd love to just hear a little bit about what the experience looked like when you first came to them, letting them know your sexuality. And then as you started, we're going to branch into also when you told your mom specifically too, um, that you wanted to undergo the transition and how you identified but I, I let's start with how they initially responded to you coming to them just at the very start and letting them know about your sexuality. So I initially came out as bisexual when I was 11 or 12 somewhere. And I did it in an email to my mom because I was too scared to have the conversation in person. And like as soon as I sent it, I was like, no, regret. But the email <laughs> yeah. was gone. And it was too late, but she like came home from work and I remember her reading it and she's just like, so do you have like a girlfriend you want me to meet? And I was like, no. And she's like, oh, okay. And that was like it. <laughs> like it was just very much like, okay, whatever. And my, and for some reason I was like really terrified to tell my dad and he had the same response of like, okay, whatever. Like they didn't really, they were just like, whatever, that's fine. Yeah. Like we didn't really have a big talk about it or anything. Yeah. And then. Later, when I came out as a lesbian, 
they were like, we've kind of already done this before. And also we already knew because of like four years ago, yeah, whatever. I... So it was the same thing. They're, they weren't surprised. There was no big talk. There wasn't anything, there wasn't anything different about it really. It was just like a very easy transition for them. They, they were very accepting and they were just like, oh, if you have a girlfriend, we'd love to meet her, whatever. Yeah. Like, they they offered to go to pride parades and all that stuff. So they were, they were awesome. That's so amazing. I, it was great. I was, I was very lucky yeah, to I... have such supportive parents. So that was very easy for me, respectively. The rest of my family, like extended family, not so much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in a very religious extended family. My immediate family was not. So that took some time for them to adapt to, um, my dad's side of the family was faster about it and like, they still had their reservations and they eventually kind of came around. And then my mom's side of the family was much slower, but they never okay. like disowned me. Well, that's but good. The, you could tell that there was still a discomfort there, I guess. Yeah. So the mom's side of the family was always kind of like, oh, he'll grow out of it. But my dad's side of the family was like, oh, we don't know how we feel about this, but we love you and we'll try. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of the, the split between them. But I never lost either of them. And then when we transition into coming out as trans that's different across the board for everyone. As a great background on your family dynamic there and how they initially handled you coming out. So when did you initially start noticing that something in your life needed to change? And really, when did you know you needed to start preparing for transitioning? And what was that initial awakening like? I think if I look back, I first realized that something needed to change pretty early. I think that's why I started coming out as bisexual as I started to pursue that path yeah. of something needs to change, but I was searching for it. I didn't really know what it was. Right. And then when I really realized that something definitely needed to change was roughly a year, a six months maybe after meeting that friend who was trans and me going down that black hole. Right. About six months into that was when I realized that something needed to change, but I needed another six months essentially to come to terms with that because I had a lot of internalizing to do of like, you realize what this means for you, right? It's yeah. basically like a huge transition and a commitment, not only for my body and my perception of how people see me, but my family and my friends as right. well. It was it was essentially committing to changing my whole life. Mm. And I had, to, I had a lot of time to figure that out. But as soon as I realized six months in that that needed to happen, I knew it needed to happen. Yeah. And then there was a, there was a period of time where I just had to come to terms with what that meant. Right. Does that answer your question? Oh, totally. No, that was perfect. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So can you shed some light for us here on what the standard practice is for individuals who do want to undergo a transition and what kind of gates you had to go through to begin the transition? Also, you mentioned something about your doctor who was very progressive in Utah. So can you tell us about just how your transition process may have been a little bit more unique or progressive in that sense? Of course. So the general standard for trans people, if they're like adults um, in general, like 18 plus, is you do have to kind of go through all these processes before most medical places will give you the green light. So in general, it's like you need to go to therapy, a gender therapist for like a year, and then you need to live as a gender you desire to transition to for a year as well, like society-wise. And then after that, they generally refer you to a doctor, a hormone therapist, who will prescribe you a specific dose of what you want, and you're very closely 
monitored. Like you go in every week or every month or every year so that your levels stay where they're supposed to be. And you're very, it's kind of like being a science experiment. Yeah, it (laughs) seems like it. So you have like all these gates you need to go through even before you're allowed to continue. Wow. So it's not like you just go to a doctor and they're like, here you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Enjoy. So yeah. Like, and I think that I, I like it. It sucks, but it's also kind of wise, especially if you're younger, because it is a huge commitment and a lot of the things you cannot change. Right. But my experience was a little bit different because Utah doesn't, or at least at the time, didn't have like gender therapists. So I spent like a lot of time just trying to search for a therapist who had any practice with somebody like me. And that was difficult. Um, Eventually, I found someone who was at least willing to listen to me. And I was very lucky that she was like, well, I've never met anybody like you before. I don't know anybody like you before, but I know a doctor who does. So I kind of was able to circumvent the therapy part just because here in Utah, it wasn't well established. And I went straight to to the doctor who is from the Netherlands, actually, where they're way more progressive than the Americans. And her son was actually trans. So she was like, you know who you are. Tell me how long you've been thinking about this. Tell me how long do you have you really thought about this? And we just had this really long talk. And after that initial talk, I came back like a month later and we went through like a whole pamphlet, like a very long pamphlet of these are all the things that are risks. These are all the things that are going to change if you take testosterone. And I had to like read the whole thing and sign it. And my dad was there with me too, even though I was over 18, just to make sure that we really understood what was going to happen. Totally. And then I was able to start testosterone. But it was relatively fast for me. It was probably six months after I decided that I needed to pull the trigger, which for most people, it's a year or more before they can do that. And and I just got lucky, I yeah. guess, because I didn't have to do the whole therapy part. Absolutely. And I think that's it's great that we are hearing this, all that goes into transitioning, because I, I think a lot of people just think, oh, you know, they they might go and just, you know, decide to do this one day, but it's not really at all like that. And in fact, it's it's a very... For most people, process. yeah, it's a huge <laughs> process. So, yeah, so that really, that's a great, great synopsis of what happened there. A couple things to note here before you actually started going through all of the steps and something you've mentioned at the start is that you were dating your partner, Aaron, who you are actually still with today. And this is a very unique situation because not everyone stays with their partner throughout something like this. So was there friction initially when you brought this up to Aaron or how did that all play out? Yes, there was some friction. So Aaron and I had dated for two years before uh, I decided to start transitioning and we had been friends before that. So we had known each other for quite some time. And we had our established relationship at that time. And Erin, I remember having conversations with Erin prior to transitioning where she had talked to me about never wanting to date a man again. Like she felt like she was definitely more attracted to women. So when I decided to transition and that conversation was not one that I was looking forward to (laughs) for obvious reasons. Right, right. And so when I told her, it was a... It was an interesting mix where she wasn't surprised. Like everyone I've ever come out to as trans wasn't surprised, but she still needed to decide if that was something that she wanted to do because Mm. I was 
changing my life, what meant, which meant that I was changing hers. Right. And she needed to do some introspection of, was she interested in dating a man again? Is that a relationship dynamic that she wanted? Right. And there was, there was probably a month of some tension and awkwardness before she said that she loved me and that's all that mattered. She wow. didn't care what I looked like yeah. and how society perceived our relationship because it was me that she was in love with yeah. in whatever form that took. And ever since she made that decision, we haven't had any problems. Wow. So it was, it was definitely tense for a little while, but I'm yeah. very, very lucky yeah. to have such an understanding, awesome partner. I think that's beautiful. I, I want to applaud Aaron on that because loving someone just based off of who they are as a person, that's beautiful. So I'm so happy for you guys that it just sounds like you guys are really have a really healthy relationship and that's amazing. So Thank you. I, yeah. was, I was definitely very lucky and it was, it was definitely interesting because I think if you were to ask anyone who was dating their partner, if you'd still love them, if they changed their sex, they'd probably be like, Oh, I don't know about that. But True. I, what I took away from Aaron is that you don't really know until you're faced with that. Yeah. Cause I, I think if I had asked her prior, she'd been like, Oh, I don't know about that. And then when the reality came, she found out that she did like she would. Wow. So interesting. So cool and very interesting. You're right. So let's kind of shift gears now to the piece of the story that's important to note, which is now on how your parents responded to you coming to them about wanting to be a transgender. And something you've mentioned to me is the importance for individuals to have patience with their parents and be willing to allow parents time to grieve in any way they need to. So how did your parents respond to you coming to them initially with the transgender side of things? Some important context, I feel like, uh, before I get into my parents' different reactions, is when I was 18, my mom moved out of state. My mom moved to Arizona, but my dad did not. And so I was much closer to my dad for 18 to 20 because he was still in state and I didn't see my mom as much. Right. So my dad kind of was present while I was going through all these internal struggles. And he wasn't like, we didn't talk about it because it was very much an internal struggle, but he kind of could see that something was going on with me while well, my mom didn't have that luxury. So while I didn't talk to either of them, of them about it, just being around my dad gave him insights that my mom didn't have. Mm. So with that background, when I came out to my dad, he was absolutely not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, you've been, you've been dropping hints that something's been on your mind for a while. And he was immediately accepting, but cautious. So mm. he was like, I will love you no matter who you are but I want you to make sure that you understand what, what's going on because I don't know anything about this. Like right. I have so he, he was immediately admitted that he had some biases and some things that he was raised with that he doesn't know if they're true and that he was scared for me. But if that was something that I felt like I needed to do, that he would stand by me every step of the way and he would be willing to learn. Wow. So he admitted that he was scared, but never wavered and said that he loved me right from the beginning. That's amazing. It was very lucky. So yeah. um, just just a side note, I guess, if if you know anybody who is trans, the suicide rate amongst transgender individuals is 41% attempt rate. Mm. That goes down significantly to like less than 10 if you have a, 
a support system that wow. loves you. So that was like crucial. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I guess, just so you know, if you know trans people, your love and appreciation and support of them is huge. Like mm. it, it's, it's just a big deal. So my dad wow. being immediately accepting was a huge, huge deal. Absolutely. And he was actually the one I was more afraid to tell for some reason. I have no idea why, like looking back on it, I have no idea why I was afraid to tell my dad more than I was my mom. Right. Probably just because in, in general, your mom is perceived as like the welcoming motherly type. Right. Totally. And totally. When I came out to my mom, it was over the phone since we didn't live together and it did not go the way that I was expecting. Um, <laughs> so I just, I guess before I dive into how rough this was, I do want to say that my mom and I are on very good terms now <laughs> and I know that she loves me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but when I came out to my mom, it went south very, very quickly. Um, there was a lot of crying. My mom used some phrases that still hurt to this day. She asked why I would want to mutilate myself and mm. become an abomination. And she was very scared. I knew it was fear. Like looking back now, it's absolutely a fear response that she was experiencing. She right. was scared for her child. Right. And she, she had the same upbringing that my dad did of all these biases and things that she believed about trans people. And she weighed into those. But I also think that she took some failure. Like I, I remember her saying, what did I do that made you feel like being a woman is so terrible? So I think there were some internal struggles on her side that she was projecting onto me, but there was also a lot of fear and, um, misconceptions around what that meant to be trans. Right. That initial conversation with my mom was not fun. And then there was several months after that of just going back and forth of me trying to share information with her and educate her. And there was an absolute bias on her side where she was not eager mm. to look into those at first because yeah. she was not excited for this future for me. And I know she had some biases to work through, but I don't recall ever fighting with my mom. Like, even though it, there was like crying right. and some anger, I don't remember ever like being like, how dare you? Yeah. I hate you. Like <laughs> right, any, anything right. like that. I don't remember ever fighting, but there was absolutely tension and sadness and grief yeah. and some anger, um, especially on my side. I was angry. Yeah. But I I talked to Aaron a lot and my dad a lot, and I'm very grateful for them because I don't know that I would have been as patient as I was if it wasn't for them because they both, they both encouraged patience. Yeah. Especially my dad, because my dad was able to talk to me as a parent, right? He was like, as a parent, even though they were divorced at this time, he was like, I understand what your mom is going through. Right. She's grieving for the child she thought she had. Right. And this is a new world for her. And she loves you. You know she loves you, but she's got to come to terms with this. And the best way to do that is to stay in contact with her. Right. Like if I had cut off contact and just been like, later, mom, then <laughs> yeah. we probably would have never progressed past that. Like there would just be all that angerness and bitterness. And I wouldn't have been there to answer her questions or her concerns or show her the safety precautions and all the things I was going through. She would have just had to have been like, my, my kid is doing these horrible things to himself is what she thought. And that's all she would have known. Like I yeah. wouldn't have included her and been like, look, mom, it's moderated by a doctor. I'm being very safe. I go in once a week. Like yeah. I went to, I did go to a therapist, even though it was for a short time. Yeah. I've got the support system. 
And I, it took a while. It took a year, I think, before it started to even out. And we never really had like a, a, a talk where we just like made up. It just kind of right. like slowly diffused and she started to ask more questions. And I remember the first time she was like, do you want to change your name? Yeah. And she tried to start using the appropriate pronouns. And that, was, that took my mom a while. Yeah. And it, it was a struggle for her. And I could actually see the first couple times she tried changing my pronouns that it was almost painful for wow. her to do. But it got easier over time. And one of the things I actually think my dad might have talked to her because um, she was like, it's really hard for me because whenever I talk to you, I have these 20 years of memories of you as a little girl. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's hard for me to ignore, especially when we're talking about the past. Like when I'm talking to you and I remember when you were little and my little girl did this. And my dad was like, the easiest thing for me, because he struggled with that too, was just replace pronouns always. Like right. never, never refer to Shannon as a girl right. ever. And just say when you were a little boy and that made the transition easier. And I think mm. it made it easier for my mom too. Yeah. Cause the, I think the dividing line, was hard yeah right and so if you just replace it but it's still it's still it took easily over a year before we started to get better wow but it was it was rough with my mom <laughs> yeah well I, I love what you said about how you you made a point though to still include her in your life like you didn't shut her out and say like peace out I'm you know, you're not you're not handling this how I would have hoped you would have. Um, so I'm I'm just gonna not include you in everything. Like you still made an effort to communicate with her, and I I think that is huge. And that's probably how it could have maybe you know taken much longer for her to come around if uh, if you didn't include her like that. So that's that's huge. And I also have met your mom in person, and she is amazing. And, um, obviously I know you feel that way too. I appreciate you sharing that. And then I also appreciate, um, her side of the story too. And hopefully I'll get her on a podcast one of these days. So I think it's completely understandable to allow parents whatever time they need to process this information. And I also want to jump to now, you underwent a couple transitional surgeries can you share when those were and what they specifically were and how was the recovery on these procedures? So I have had two uh, gender affirming surgeries. Um, one, my first one was top surgery where I had my, my breasts removed. I, I guess I want to talk about that one for a second because I think most people think of just like mastectomies, right. which isn't quite right. They do leave some breast tissue so that it looks more masculine. Cause if you mm. were to remove all the breast tissue, it would kind of be more concave. Right. So it's more of like a plastic surgery. And that was my first one. And I had it a year after I started transitioning. And that was the one that was by far most important to me. Like yeah, as far yeah. as body affirming, that was the one that I was like, I need this. Totally. Like, yeah. I thought about it. I had a countdown on my phone. Like it was very <laughs> you did. important to me. I love that. Oh <laughs> <Yeah>. my gosh. <laughs> So I did that one up at the University of, the, of Utah okay. and I had an amazing physician and her attending staff was awesome. They like asked all of my pronouns. They were super respectful. Wow. It was, it was awesome. Like it was super awesome. And this, the recovery actually wasn't that bad. So I had like 
even though it sounds horrible. So I'm yeah, going to describe it. I had like all these drains under my skin with these yeah, little I... like bulbs that I had to drain a couple times a day and like a big long stitches all along the way. It sounds horrible, but it really wasn't that bad. To okay, good, from. good. So after about two weeks, I got the drains out and then it was just waiting. Like I couldn't lift super heavy things or lift my arms over a certain amount for a while, but it was relatively a smooth recovery. Other than that, I took two weeks off of work and then went back to work Right. because I, I, I said it at a desk job, so I wasn't doing anything heavy, but that was lucky. And yeah. then later, I think it was 2017, I ended up having a total hysterectomy. Uh, it was always something that I felt like I knew I was going to get at some point, but it right. wasn't something I was in a rush to get in the same way. It was just kind of like, yeah, at some point. Right. I'll get around to it. Right, right. right. <laughs> I'll get around to it. But uh, I started to, I don't know how deep you want me to get into medical stuff. No, I mean, me just go we're all, <laughs> the reason people listen to this podcast is because we're trying to normalize these conversations and I think they want the depth, you know? So I'd okay. hope so at then, least. All right. I, I will just be honest. Yeah. So when you start testosterone, your menstrual cycle stops. So I had not had any menstrual cycles for quite some time. And then... I started bleeding and we didn't know why. And after like ultrasounds and all sorts of stuff came to be found that I had really bad endometriosis and mm. I was also atrophying because the testosterone kind of like shuts everything down. So I was just like, my, my body was bleeding and there was endometriosis. Yeah. So we decided to pull the trigger on doing a hysterectomy almost immediately. Like it was within a couple months cause I was wow. in pain. And I was bleeding when I shouldn't have been. And that was very traumatic for me because I was like, my body shouldn't be doing this in the first place. Right, right. <laughs> so we decided to do a total hysterectomy. And it was a laparoscopic hysterectomy. And it was my same physician. And I, I had it at a hospital that wasn't, she has like her own clinic, but then she like goes to hospitals to do surgeries. And that hospital was not as nice. I remember like coming out of the anesthesia and them talking about me in the wrong gender. And I remember oh. being upset about that. Yeah. And, and, uh, when I came more and more awake, I was in a lot of pain, mm -hmm. but, uh, the pain is normal, I guess, but I was in like a lot of pain, but they still sent me home. And it was like three or four days later, it was actually on Valentine's day. Um, and I had not gotten any better. Like the bloating was there and I was like in a lot of pain. And most other people I talked to about having hysterectomies was like, oh, I was fine. Like 24 hours later. And that was not the case for me, but I thought maybe it's just being slower. But right. anyway, like 3 a.m. on Valentine's Day, Aaron came out to the kitchen because I'd been sleeping, sitting upright on the mm. couch because I couldn't get up. Like my stomach hurt that much. And I was like bent over the counter, like drenched in sweat and super pale. And all I said was, I need to go to the hospital. And I was extremely sick. And we found out, well, this sucked. So first of all, going to the emergency room at a random emergency room as a trans man who just had a hysterectomy at three in the morning is a bad time. <laughs> and Erin was doing most of the talking for me because I was like out of it. Like yeah, I was I... like super sick. And she was like, he just had a hysterectomy. And they were like, mm, I don't think you know what that means. And she was like, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> He's sick. Take him back. Like, <laughs> oh but these doctors hadn't hadn't dealt with me before. Right. So they just like took a whole bunch of blood and they were like asking all sorts of questions that I didn't feel like was relevant at the time. And I was yeah, like, look, I... I'm just, I'm just sick. Okay. And eventually like I did like a CT scan and they thought that I had like 
nicked, like the surgery had like nicked a bowel or something. And they were like, we don't even know really what we're looking at. But eventually they were able to get a hold of my primary physician at like nine in the morning when her clinic opened, because they were going to send me back in for a second surgery because they thought that I had like nicked a bowel or something. She's like, don't you dare send him to me. And so I went from the emergency room directly to her. Like she cleared her schedule for me, which is awesome. She's awesome. She was like, I know exactly what's happening. Your, your vaginal cuff is inflamed. It's infected. You're not draining properly. So I had this like horrible infection that they were going to like put me back in through surgery for. And all I really needed was an antibiotic. Wow. But but prior to that, (laughs) they had to do a pelvic exam with a, metal speculum to make sure that the stitches were still in place with a doctor who had never done that on a trans man before. And I had horrible infection. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I cried awkwardly in the emergency room and it was horrible, but I was so sick that I actually remember like Aaron went to go like change, get new clothes while she was gone. I remember thinking, I thought I was going to die. Like I was really, really sick. And when she was gone, I was like, at least Aaron is safe. So I was super grateful that all it took was actually some antibiotics. But if they hadn't been able to get a hold of my primary physician, I don't know what would have happened because those doctors had never dealt with somebody like me before. And it was very, very clear to me at that point in time that the medical system is not trained for transgender individuals. They had no idea what they were doing with me. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That that sucked. My hysterectomy sucked. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It sounds like it. And I guess I'd be curious. Do you think that most medical professionals aren't trained in the U S or just mainly in Utah? I think it's a U.S. problem. Okay. I I do think it's getting better, um, as like the transgender movement gains traction. I am, but I do think it's, I think it's a U.S. problem in general. Cause at least from like the people I've talked to, they, all, all the trans people I know in the United States struggle to find mm. good care. Wow. And I don't know if this matters, but once my mom and I kind of made up and she became a transgender ally and was like really gung-ho and supporting me, my mom is a physician. Mm. And when she announced that she was also going to do her best, transgender people flock to her wow. because she understands, right? Yes. She understands and she knows what that's like now. Right. So, as soon as trans people find a doctor that is good to them and they understand the process, you it's like a diamond in the rough. Absolutely. So wow. It's like, yay. Yeah. So I'm very, very glad that I was able to stay in contact with my mom because yeah. the benefits for the transgender community as a whole Absolutely. Is enormous. Wow. Absolutely. Well, I'm sorry to hear about how difficult that recovery was with that, or not even recovery, but what you developed with the infection. And, um, yeah, that was rough. Yeah. And you just needed an antibiotic. So I'm glad that I'm really glad they didn't do another surgery. So the next thing I'd like to talk about is when the testosterone injections began and what some initial side effects were like in general. So I started um, testosterone injections in October, on October 10th. So it was actually just a couple of days ago was my eight year anniversary in wow. 2020. And I do a weekly injection. It's an intramuscular injection and it's very small. Like I have these tiny little syringes and it's, I do it in the upper hip area, like the buttocks, upper hip area once a week. So it's very small, it's monitored. And I, when I first started, 
I remember being like super pumped and I wanted like the changes to be immediate and they are not like yeah, it I... takes time for, for that to build up in your system. And I didn't really start noticing anything significant, probably for one to two, maybe three months. And then my voice started to drop mm. and I started to get a little bit fuzzy on my face, I started to get a little bit hairier on my arms and my legs. Right. And my hairline started to change and I started to break out. Um, in acne because I'm basically basically when you start testosterone or estrogen you're putting your body through a second puberty oh. so I was going through the puberty that I should have had the first time right but right now I was doing it when I was 20 oh, <laughs> so I, I got to do puberty twice <laughs> so all the things that your average teen male was would do, go through I went through just at 20 instead and that was rough on in its own regard going through that at 20 and I my acne was so bad I actually had to go on Accutane but it, it all evened out eventually the changes are slow and gradual yeah and they continue for several years I probably have leveled out right around three or four years and I haven't really had any significant changes since then except for hair loss okay so I have lost most of my hair and that is genetic I guess okay. for anybody who's listening so my dad and his dad and my mom's dad, they all have lost their hair. So I knew when I started that I was going to lose my hair because yeah. it was genetic. But if your parents and if it doesn't run in your family, it won't happen to you mm. generally. So it's a genetic component. It was something I had to just accept. But yeah. other than that, it's kind of evened out. The other thing that I, I think most people don't know is testosterone affects how your fat distributes. Mm. So I used to carry my fat in a more feminine matter. And then when I started transitioning, now I carry it kind of more around my waist rather than I used to do it like on my hips and my legs prior to that. Interesting. So there, it just kind of reshapes a lot of those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Was that hard for you when you started losing hair or you just had accepted that already? I knew that like when I first, my hairline first started changing, I was just like, oh, my hairline's changing. And then it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I was like, oh no, I'm losing my hair. Yeah. I... And that has been hard for me. Um, I feel I, I, I like to be pretty. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> losing, losing my hair has been really hard for me. Yeah. Which is why I'm wearing a hat. Yeah. But I, I'm just going to have to accept it because it's like, it's going to happen. But right. yes, losing right. my hair has been hard. There were some other things that took me by surprise that I wouldn't have expected to. So like if I backtrack to having my hysterectomy, I never wanted kids like ever, not once in my entire right. life have I ever even like sort of wanted kids. But there was this period of time after I had my hysterectomy that completely took me by surprise where I mourned what I had lost. Mm -hmm. Like even though I had never, ever, ever wanted kids, it was always a choice that I could have. Mm -hmm. And when I had my hysterectomy, I mourned the loss of that choice even though I never wanted it. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, was, absolutely. Uh, it was, it like took me by surprise and I had a period of grief where I, where I was like, why do I even care? I never wanted kids. Yeah. But it's still, <laughs> it still took me by surprise. No, absolutely. I could see how that would be like that, your choice, it's gone. Like you really can't. But I, I feel you on the hair loss stuff. I can understand how that would be hard. And even though you did see it coming, still isn't easy. The next thing I would like to talk about, and actually a question I had for you is, does insurance cover testosterone or how, what's the medical, the expenses on that? When I first started my transition, I did not 
like I started taking testosterone, but my insurance, my driver's license, my passport, all of that stuff still said female. And so when I was first started, it was not covered. Testosterone was really expensive. And then when I took the steps necessary to change all of that, so mm. now the insurance recognizes me as male and stuff like that, it's now covered. So I only pay like $6 for testosterone oh, rather that's great. than the near 200. So that was interesting. But when I had my hysterectomy, I was recognized as male. Mm. So that was a that was rough. Uh, I don't, they did not want to cover it. Wow. My physician who did it went to bat for me and fought with my insurance for over a month before they agreed to cover it for me. Wow. But initially I was going to have to pay over $10,000 out of pocket because mm. I was male on insurance. And even though it was a necessary surgery, cause I was like in a bad way, right, obviously, right, they right. didn't want to cover it cause my, my gender domination didn't match. Mm. So I'm, I'm, very grateful for my doctor. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you've had some good people on your side, which is awesome. So something that is neat about your experience is how well your work environments handled your transition. So can you shed some light for us on how the HR department worked with you and what changed for you in the work environment since that? So I work in the games industry and the games industry is a rapidly changing environment in general, but I know that as a whole, they're always trying to improve. And I was worried about coming out um, in Utah to the my employers of this was a thing, but I had to, it's they were gonna find out eventually. Right, right. <laughs> so, so I remember sitting down with them and being like, this is what's happening. What What are we gonna do about this? And they were surprisingly supportive. Like they, they were just like, oh, well, we've never dealt with this before what do you need from us? Wow. And all I, all I was like as well, if you could help me tell the rest of the studio, um, I would like to use male pronouns and I would like to use the male restroom. And if it makes the, and I tried to meet in the middle because I was like, if it makes uh, the men in the studio uncomfortable to see a, a female presenting person, because I was very early right. in my transition at the time, then I can wait, right? Right. I can wait for a couple months. And they were like, nah, it's fine. Like, just, it's fine. We'll support you in this. And that was all I needed. I was like, just help me, help me tell the studio that this is happening. Yeah. I would like to change the pronouns I use and I'd like to use the male bathroom. And they were like, done. And I never had any problems in the studio. As soon as uh, people, as soon as people found out at first, people were like, do you have a cold? Like, cause <laughs> my voice was changing. But as soon as they were like, oh, that's what it is. There was a curiosity among my coworkers yeah. that they were afraid to share with me, but I was like, no, please ask your questions. Because yeah. if there's one thing I've, I've learned is most people don't know somebody who's trans. Yep. Like they just have heard about it. And if there's one thing that changes hearts and minds, it's just knowing somebody who is that, right? Totally. So I was like, I will be, I'm absolutely happy to answer your questions. So I was very open. People asked me a lot of questions and that was that. Oh. And like six months later, it was totally totally normal. And the people I had worked with prior still know that I had transitioned and are still working with me. And then anybody who started after that has no idea. Wow. So it's, it, I was very lucky oh like for being gosh. in Utah. Yeah. All of these stars aligned for me in a lot of different ways. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause when I found out you lived in Utah, I was like, 
oh man, that must be so hard. But you, like, as you've just explained it, you really have, it's been awesome how your work environment, how a lot of people, most people have handled your transition. And uh, I just, I'm so happy for you. That's great. Cause it Thank definitely you. could have been a different experience, but I'd hope the same experience for anyone, you know, who's going through. I would too. Yeah. So let's switch gears here a little bit to I'm curious how your extended family reacted when you initially came out. So I talked a little bit about how they reacted when I came out as a lesbian and my dad's side reacted one way and my mom's side reacted another way. And I was kind of expecting it to kind of be the same way. And in one way I was right. um, And in another way I was very wrong. So my dad's side of the family, particularly my grandparents, when I came out to them, my grandma cried a lot. And was like, oh, no. But then my grandpa was like, no, wait, well, hold on a second. We don't have to tell anyone we have a, a gay granddaughter anymore. Oh, <laughs> and I was oh like, my no. gosh. And they were like, he was like, sweet, let's go. And like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. So it was weird that that was, like, better for them. Like, right. that was the strain. But but they, they took to that fairly quickly. And the rest of my dad's side of the family was very supportive as well. There was some concerns with... Um, some of my aunts and uncles about exposing uh, their kids oh. to somebody like me. Interesting. But, uh, uh, there was uh, there was only one family, and the, the, like overwhelmingly from the rest of the family, they're like, "That's silly, don't do that." And it didn't last very long, and it was fine. And then on the other side, my mom's family, I have lost contact with almost all of them. Wow. They they were they were like, mm, "Nah, peace out." Like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> they 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 were not stoked on that. Uh, and yeah. that's, that's okay. I wasn't, I wasn't particularly close with them to begin with because of the way they reacted with the lesbian thing. So when I came out, I was kind of expecting things to not go well. Right. And when they didn't go well, it, it was just kind of like a, yeah, well, that was, that was your last chance. I've tried to be nice this whole time. So oh my I, I decided to mostly cut contact on that side and it, it hasn't hurt me. I think it was probably better for me because I could see prior that they weren't interested in trying to meet me in the middle. And when I came out a second time, I could see they still weren't interested in meeting me in the middle. So this is no longer worth my effort. basically. So there wasn't like a big fight or anything, but I just decided that I was going to stop trying to uphold that end of the relationship. Right. Wow. Well, I think it sounds like that was ultimately the healthy choice for you and your sanity and your mental health and well-being because no one likes to feel like they're doing something wrong just by living their most authentic life. So something that I was naive about before I started talking to you was that you would be on testosterone for a certain amount of time only. But as you explained to me, you will be on this for the rest of your life. So how do you feel as a person today who is fully able to live in the body they belong to? I look back to what what living life was like before, and all I can think of is I was very dissociated from reality. Like I didn't really feel like I had connections with people around me or what was going on around me or just things in general. I spent most of my time trying to escape, which is probably why I got into video games, is I would always play video games and be the male protagonist, and I was like escaping that way. And I don't feel the same need to escape that I used to because life is good now. Like life is what I felt like it should have been. So I'm very, very grateful that I live in a time where society 
is learning and becoming more accepting and the medical procedures are getting further along as well. And I, I just don't know. I don't, uh, sorry, mom and dad, but I don't know that I'd still be here if I hadn't transitioned. It, it's just, this is a life worth living and the life I had before wasn't. And I, I probably could have like proceeded through life in my weird, numb, dissociated state if I had never learned that there was another option. But as soon as I had learned that there was an option, if I was unable to pursue that, I don't know that I would have been able to continue in that state. So I'm very, very grateful that I am where I am now and that I'm still here fighting the good fight. Yeah. Wow. That was beautiful. (laughs) And I, I think that basically just for anyone out there who has a hard time with transgender, the concept around it, I think that was basically the perfect thing for them to hear is that it sounds like you just couldn't keep living that way. And I'm just, wow, that was beautiful. Thank you for that. So I'm curious on for you, what has been some of the reoccurring challenges that you have faced being transgender? Some of the reoccurring challenges I've faced is one on the medical side. Um, definitely. I don't, I don't like going to any doctor that I is not my primary physician right. just because I'm like, oh, this is going to be an ordeal. Like, right. You don't want to know why I'm on <laughs> testosterone right. and it's going to go all down this rabbit hole. So medical thing for sure. One thing that's like a reoccurring thing for me is whenever I make new friends, um, do I tell them? Like, yeah. and I always, that's like something that I, I struggle with and it really depends on who it is. Like if I, it's somebody that I'm, I can feel myself getting close to and attached to, eventually I'll share that with them because it's a piece of myself. But there's also a part where like, if I don't tell people, um, which is why I wanted to do this where I feel, I can't help but feel like I'm being deceitful. Like I'm mm. hiding a part of myself yeah. that they don't know. And that's not particularly fair, I guess, because I'm not really hiding anything. They see who I am, right. but it, there's, it's this, it's the history that I feel like develops the connection that I desire with people now. Cause that's 20 years of my life that I just ignore with new right. friends if I don't come out. Right. So Coming out is a reoccurring thing, a reoccurring thing that I'll struggle with because it's something I'm going to have to do for the rest of my life. I'm always going to have to come out. Interesting. So that that's that's one that's been rough. And then the other one that I know I need to do at some point, but I just keep putting off because it sounds horrible. Is I need to change my birth certificate. Oh I really yeah. Don't, I really don't want to go to court and like yeah. plead my case of please change my birth certificate because look at me. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't want to pay money to do that and plead my case, but my passport and my driver's license both say mail. Yeah. So in my brain, I'm like, I can just put that off, but right. at some point I'll have to do it. What is something you could say to our listeners who still may not understand or support someone who comes out as transgender? There's been a lot of talks with people, and I even have some people that I would consider friends where they don't understand what being transgender is. And I don't know that you have to understand to be respectful of us. Mm. Like, I don't know that you need to have a deep understanding of what the transgender experience is to respect that I should have body autonomy to pursue the life that makes me happy. And all I can ask for is respect for my own life. Like I'm in control of my life. Right. <laughs> I don't need you to understand necessarily, but I would really greatly appreciate you respect my choices, especially since it doesn't really have any impact on 
somebody I don't know. Like we've mentioned, it has definitely has impact on my family, the people right. closest to me. But prior to meeting you, my life had no impact on you. Right. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a very good point. And I think there's a lot of people out there who just maybe don't have that open-minded perspective and even the they don't even spend time to open up their awareness and understand this. So that's kind of the underlining goal of these podcasts is that maybe one person hears it and they they listen and they're like, oh, he said some really true, good points and I, I can see his perspective and I, I understand it. I get it. So, but yeah, at the, at the end of the day, it doesn't really have an effect on on others. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm I'm human. Right. Like, Absolutely. At the end of the day, I'm still human. I'm still me. Like my personality is basically the same as it was before. I still love the same things. I love cats. I love my family. <laughs> I love video games. I go hiking. Right. All that's really different is I take a prescribed medication and I look different. Absolutely. That's, that's really all that's different at the end of the day. I love that. That's right. You are still you. So Shannon, maybe someone out there is listening and is in the beginning phases of transitioning, but is scared. What's some advice that you could give them to help this process be less stressful or scary for them? That is a good question because boy, howdy, is it scary at the start? It's like, <laughs> ex it's exciting, but it's also scary. And if you, my guess, my advice is if you have anybody in your life that you trust, it is so much easier to go through this when you have a support system. And if you don't have a support system, then I would be happy to be your support system. Like I will stand by you as you go through this because you need it. You really do. It's hard to do alone. It really is. But journaling was helpful to me. I didn't really journal, but I did like a blog post mm. where I just kept track of all the things that I was thinking, the changes I saw in my body, all those things, because eight years later, it, I might not remember what it was like in those early stages, but it, it was good for me to just vent how I was feeling even to myself because right. nobody else I really knew understood. So if you're not part of the trans community or like, you know, going to a pride center or just meeting up with people that helped a lot um, in my early transition parts, just reaching out to other trans people who knew exactly what I was going through yeah. or even just thinking and feeling was very, very helpful because I love my dad. I love my mom. I love Aaron and they were supportive but they had no idea what it was actually like to do it. So just having those, those people who knew exactly what it was like was very, very helpful. Yeah. And as I went along, I didn't feel like I needed as much of a strong sense of community in that regard, but it was very, very helpful at the start. So I guess summary, document your feelings, document what you see, reach out to the trans community. And if you've got family or friends, chosen family, it's very, very helpful to include them in the process. I love that. That's some great advice and I think can be really helpful for people. And uh, that support system is huge. I feel like that's that's really great that you noted that. So I'm curious, what is something you wish you could tell younger you when you may have been struggling with your gender and identity at a young age? What's something you wish you could tell your younger self? It's going to be okay. There, there was a lot of times where I was just like, is this going to be it forever? Am I just going to feel like this always. Is this really all that life has for me? Is this feeling of dissatisfaction and anger and dissociation? Yeah. And just the words of it's going to be okay. You will get to be you is would have been 
would have been nice to know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's amazing just what it's going to be okay will do. Yeah, I, I love that. It's going to be okay. So moving forward today, do most people realize that you are a transgender individual or because you've been on testosterone and underwent a couple surgeries, is it pretty hard for people to tell? I would, I, I believe, um, this is a trans words for everybody here today, that in general life, I am stealth. So stealth means that people would not look at you and associate you with being trans, which in its own way has some hurtful connotations because what does trans look like? There's like mm -hmm. a stigma of trans must look this way. But in, in general, most people don't know, no, um, unless I tell them. And then usually it's it's shock, but I've never had somebody come up to me and go, you look trans. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, well, what does that look like? What do you mean? Right. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. That's, that's good to know. So it appears that you've been very open about your story and have aided in continuing to destigmatize gender stigmas and general LGBTQ plus awareness and acceptance. So what is something that you would like to see happen in the future surrounding the transgender process or awareness in general? I, I think that in general, if we could trust people to know their own identities a bit more, because when I look at how I kind of circumvented that process a little bit, all I can feel is gratefulness. Yeah. And I sympathize for my trans brothers and sisters or trans friends and family, because there's non-binary non individuals too who have to wait so long. And mm. I just remember me being in that period of six months where I felt miserable yeah, I... knowing that there was a path to relieve it and there was nothing I could do. And to me, it feels cruel to instigate all these barriers and gates and things that you have to jump through for years before you can alleviate that pain. So I understand some things like I had to go through, like read the documents, meet with a physician, right. at least talk to a therapist. But if we could alleviate that process and just allow a little bit more trust to, you know, in what I what we know is best for ourselves, I think that would be great, great, because I can't imagine having to have waited three plus years right. to even start to to alleviate that pain. Mm. I would love to see that. Yeah. And just more more acceptance, more understanding, more knowledge yeah. in general. Because I think a lot of the hatred towards the trans community is rooted in misinformation. And if people just take the time to learn and reach out and connect with us, I think that I hope that people would realize that we're just we're just people. Right. <laughs> like, we're just just living our lives. We're not doing anything crazy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Well, I think those are great things. And I'm, I'm hopeful that in society, we continue to progress and hopefully create more openness and awareness and understanding and even someday treat it like it's not that big of a deal, you know, like just coming out to everyone and having to deal with all of that. It's such an ordeal. It, it would be great if it could be a more seamless process. Thank you so much for being willing to share your story. I'm so glad I had the opportunity to learn more about you. I believe your story has the ability to help so many people and also educate so many. So I've learned a lot about transgenders and gained more awareness towards the LGBTQ plus community just by talking to you today. And I'm really grateful for that. So you're amazing. Thank you so much. 
thank you so much for having me. I hope that I hope that the story helps at least one person. And that that makes it all worth it to me. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here, for listening and sticking it through, even with challenging conversations. Do you have an experience or story that you feel would be a good fit for the Checker Jaguar? Email me at thecheckerjaguar at gmail.com. I am always looking for stories that bring out important discussions and lead to having thought-provoking conversations. Stay tuned for the Checker Jaguar's next podcast. But in the meantime, follow along with me at Checker Jaguar on Instagram and TikTok.